0: That always goes like three seconds longer than I think it's going to go. It always does. It fools me every time. Um, Okay, question. Who here has trouble falling asleep? Who has trouble falling asleep? Yes. Looks like we have somebody who really has trouble falling asleep. Who has trouble falling asleep because they stay up thinking about weird things? Who has trouble? Yes. No joke, the other night, I was thinking about Sean Willis before I went to sleep. I know how that, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm going to put Sean on the spot here. He doesn't even know it. But it was funny because Sean went to Italy for a month. And uh, I was sitting in bed. I was about to fall asleep. And I was like, you know, last time I saw Sean, I didn't really talk to him. I said, maybe he, in fact, Sean just actually walked by me. And so I'm thinking this in my head. And I went, what if Sean doesn't like me anymore? What if Sean is talking bad about me right now to people? And then I went, what if Sean's talking to my neighbors and talking to people at this church and telling them that like, don't go to Forefront because Jonathan Williams is bad and what if I lose my job and what if I don't know what to do with my family and I'm about to lose my home and I have to dress up like Donald Duck in Times Square and take pictures with people for money because I didn't say hi to Sean Willis last time I saw him. (laughs) I legitimately did that. (laughs) Because that's the kind of thing I think about before I go to sleep and, and I get anxiety from it and it's the most ridiculous uh, Inane, insane stuff that I think about, but that's what's kind of going on in my brain. Has that ever happened to you guys? You guys ever have these like weird spiraling out of control anxieties and stresses? There's two of you, so it's the three of us. Let's hang out after service, okay? <laughs> I get that. I, you know, I, I will sit in bed and right before I fall asleep, I'll sit there and I'll go. You know, my kids, they need a bigger room. What am I going to do? Maybe bunk beds, new furniture. Sean just went to Italy. Do I have money to go? Do I have money to go on this trip? I don't think I do. Where can I get money to go on the trip? What about the guy that bumped me on the subway four days ago, and then I spend the next 12 minutes formulating the argument I should have had with the guy that bumped me on the subway four days ago? And I get stressed out about it. And I don't do this right before I go to sleep only. I do it all the time. All the time. As I walk through life... I walk around with these anxieties and these stresses that I either make up or maybe they're sort of real, right? Maybe we have them too to where we're sitting there and and we're saying, you know, I'm at this age and I didn't think I'd I'd be where I am right now. I'm 28 and I thought I'd look a little different than I do. I I, I didn't think I'd be in New York or whatever the case, but we have these stresses that we walk around with that cause this anxiety that keeps us just off-center. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jonathan, you're not a very spiritual person right now because you have weird stresses and anxieties. And you have them too. You have them too. Some of you are really angry right now that your friend went to Greece and you're dodging dirty diapers at Brighton Beach. Some of you guys are really upset about that. Some of you guys are upset about the fact that you had to show up to that meeting 40 minutes late because the Q train stopped in the middle of the Manhattan Bridge for 40 minutes for no other reason other than the fact that you were on it. (laughs) And now you're all sweaty. And you didn't make the good impression. And it didn't work out and you're stressed out because of it. The fact that you couldn't get the elevator right when you needed to. These little tiny things that happen throughout the day that stress us out, that make us worried, that make us think, you know what, I'm a little off-centered. You guys feel me on this one? You with me on this one? It happens. It happens. You know, today we're talking about stress. We're talking about anxiety and we're talking about the Psalms. And uh, and I read it in the Huff Post uh, yesterday. In fact, I read it yesterday, and it said that you know that our bodies, biologically, naturally, we will overexaggerate. So we'll exaggerate our stress, we will exaggerate our worry, we will exaggerate our anxiety. Our bodies naturally do this. It's a defense mechanism. We we exaggerate them so that we can go back and take a look at them and decide whether or not they are a real threat. That's what our bodies do. Our bodies do that naturally. And so what happens is we're supposed to, in the whole way evolution works, we're supposed to biologically go back and say, well, that, you know, whole Donald Duck Times Square thing probably isn't going to happen. And so now I can see this accurately, and I'm, I'm not going to mess with it. But unfortunately, we don't do that. Unfortunately, we hold on to these stresses, these anxieties, these things we have. We don't assess them. We don't go back and look at them. We hold on to these exaggerations, and then we go through life wondering if we're okay. And people come up to us all the time, and they say, Jonathan, Jen, whoever, hey, I I can't hear God's voice. Of course you can't hear God's voice. You're still stressed out about that 12-minute argument you had with the guy who bumped you four days ago in the subway. That's the way... We tend to operate and live. That's how stress and anxiety work in our lives. We tend to hold on to this exaggeration. So what I want to do today is I want us to start taking a look at our stress and our anxieties and our worries. And I don't want to think about them in ways that are, are positive. not positive thinking or ways that we exaggerate. I want us to think about these things accurately. I want us to take a look at them accurately to assess them the right way. And so we're here at church, and I think it's important for me to start out by saying this. You ready? It's important for me to start out saying God does not care that you don't have enough money to go to Greece. God doesn't care that your coffee cup spilled a little bit on your wrist. God doesn't care about the fact that you had bad pit stains at your meeting because of the Q train. God does not care about those things. Shout it from the rooftops. Tweet it. I don't care. God does not care that you're on Brighton Beach dodging dirty diapers. God doesn't care about it. That'll help us put things into perspective because we're talking about those things. I'm sitting here worried about, well, I'm in my mid-30s. The average age that New Yorkers live to is 83. How long will I live? Because I'm going to live much, much longer. Like, you know, like God doesn't care about that stuff because right now there's people in northern Iraq that are dying. You know, right now there's a war going on and you have women and children who are being hurt and killed in that war. Right now there's almost 1,000 people dead in Africa. God doesn't care about whether or not we caught the elevator in time. So now we have to think a little bit about our stresses and anxieties in a more accurate way. I know you're sitting there and you're going, does God care about me at all? Well, the thing that's trite, but the thing that's true, is the good news here is that God does indeed care about us. You know when somebody comes up to you and goes, God loves you. That's a true thing it really is. God, God really loves you. God really cares about you more than anything else in the world. And so here's the thing, because God cares about you more than anything else in the world, God sort of has to care about your little anxieties too. God sort of has to care about your little stresses too. God has to care about the fact that you sit up at night wondering whether or not you're going to have to dress up like Donald Duck. God actually cares about that stuff because God cares about you. So, so what do we do with that then? What does God want us to do with this then? Well, this is where the psalm comes into play, the Psalm 94 that that read a portion of today. It's such an interesting psalm to me, um, but it talks about these practical ways that God calls us to deal with our anxiety and our stress. I love this psalm uh, only because it is so despondent for 17 verses. For 17 verses, you would think that this was the worst psalm in the world. Um, we don't know who wrote this psalm. We have two ideas, okay? There's two guesses as to who wrote this. Number one, could have been David if it was David then we're talking about a guy who was running away from King Saul and he was literally hiding in caves and people were trying to kill him okay so if it was David that wrote this psalm we got a picture of David sitting in a cave by like fire and writing down this psalm and every time a tree branch breaks or every time a rock gets moved or every time something happens David has got to be wondering is this it are these soldiers that are here to kill me that's stress that's anxiety, isn't it? And if it wasn't David who wrote it, then uh, most scholars say that it could have been a man or woman uh, about 70 years after David when Israel was in exile. And if Israel was in exile, then many of the same things that are happening in northern Iraq right now are happening, were happening then too. So people were being killed just because they were Jewish. Jewish. And people uh, were being put into slavery. And people were, you know, just being taken away. Families separated, torn apart. That was all happening. So if the psalmist is writing, the psalmist is saying, this is a life and death situation for me. When will these people come and take me next? Or take me too? Some very real stress. Very real life and death. Very real difficult situation. And so for 16 verses, the psalmist says, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting wicked people bother me? Why are you letting kings uh, who want to kill me live? Why is this happening? Why won't you kill them for me? Why won't you destroy them? Why do I have to hide out wherever I'm hiding out? Why does this have to happen? 16 verses, this goes on and on. And then in the 17th verse, we get our first clue about what God would like to see us do with our anxiety, with our stress. verse 17, this is what The psalmist says, Unless the Lord has given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, another way to translate it, if you're translating it again, it basically means like, if I didn't say these things to you, I would have died. Or if I didn't say these things to you, I wouldn't have known that you were helping that's another way that this gets translated. So basically the psalmist for 16 verses just spills his or her guts. Hey, this is how I feel. This is awful. God, why won't you help me? Why won't you kill these people? And then in verse 17, there's this change. God, if I wasn't able to say this to you, I think I would have been dead by now. I think that's what would have happened. And so right away we see that in stress and anxiety in these problems that we have, maybe they're not life and death like they are for this psalm, but still, What God wants more than anything else is communication. It's communication. Now when we think of communication, what do you guys think of? When you think of communication with God, you're thinking of what? You're thinking of prayer, right? Oh, we're going to pray, so we should just pray and it'll go away. Prayer is such a weird thing. Uh, Raise your hand. Who has trouble praying? Don't Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Yeah, yeah, me too. I pray for about five seconds and I'm like, oh, there goes that bird again. You know, prayer changes us a little bit. I know someone who is incredibly like joyful and loud and boisterous and you know, just you know, everything about this person is just, you know, extroverted. And the second they start praying, they go, Dear God, thank you for because prayer is not a communication with God, prayer is this thing that we have to do or this show that we have to put on and we're afraid to do it in front of other people. What's happening here is not prayer. Okay, what's happening in this psalm is not prayer. What's happening in this psalm is an audible and physical, God, I am scared. It's an audible, God, I am worried about this. God, I have stress over this situation. It's an audible calling out that's happening. That's what this is. It's a little bit different than prayer. It's raw. It's saying to God, God, this is exactly where I stand, exactly how I feel right now. Have you guys ever communicated with God that way, just out loud? Probably on the subway because people won't think you're crazy there. I know that I used to do this um, in my car in Philadelphia when I lived in Philadelphia, and I would pick up my phone because I was so paranoid that people would think I was talking to myself. So I'd pick up my phone. I'd be like, God, I'm worried about this student today, and I'm worried about that, and I'm worried about this. But what happens? What happens when we call something out audibly? What happens when we call it out audibly to God? All of a sudden, we are put face-to-face with that thing that's stressing us out. We are put face to face with that worry. We're we're put face to face with that anxiety, right? There's a reason that you go to an AA meeting and people say, hey, I'm so and so, and I'm an alcoholic. Because now it's out there, it's there. Now we can deal with it. Now it's a problem that we see, and now it's a problem that we not only we see, we say, God, you see this too, right? Because now you're on the hook for this. It also puts things into perspective for us. We might say, God, My family's a mess right now, and I don't know what to do about it. And when we call it out, we say, yeah, this is big. It's a big thing. We need God's help with it. Some of you might call out a different anxiety and say, God, I I need more space for my things. And all of a sudden, you call that out. You go, wait, did I just say that? God, I need more space for my things? All of a sudden, it's put into perspective this thing that we've internalized, this worry that we've had deep down in here that stewed and festered and made us think the most awful things about our dearest friends or whatever else, all of a sudden we call it out and we know what it looks like. We can name it. And that's what the psalmist does. And so the psalmist goes from 16 verses of despondence and hand-wringing and worry and upset and says, God, thanks for letting me say this stuff. If I couldn't say this stuff, I would have died because that's what happens when we keep it here, right? It grows. It festers. becomes this cancer comes way bigger than it was ever meant to be. This isn't for us. God doesn't want to communicate, or I'm sorry, this isn't for God. God doesn't want us to communicate because God's like, you need to talk to me, okay? If you don't talk to me, you're in trouble. God is like, I want you to communicate so you can hear yourself. You can hear the thing that's bothering you. And then the psalmist continues. After the psalmist calls out the things that are going on, the psalmist says, God, I'm alive because you've let me do this. And then he says, I should, if I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. Now, this is an interesting passage. If I should say my foot has slipped. And what's happening is as the psalmist calls out this anxiety, this worry, the psalmist is saying, you know what, I'm putting it into perspective, and now I'm confessing that I might not have it all figured out confession. Oh, What do you guys think of when you think of that word confession? Is that a good word? Is that a bad word? I grew up in the church. Confession means that I had to sit there and tell somebody how many times I lied or said a curse word. Something like that. How many times I hit my sister. Whatever. What is confession? I think confession, we think of confession. We don't want to do it. right? It's not, it's not something we want to do. We, we think we have to uh, uh, admit that we aren't good in some way. So confession feels like, I have a, a really great friend, in fact, my best friend, I'll never forget, we were in college, and he showed up at my, at my apartment door, and it was my buddy Chris and his friend Andrew, and Andrew had a giant bandage around his thumb, huge. I'm like, Andrew, what happened? He goes, ask Chris. I go, Chris, what happened? He goes, not telling. <laughs> I was like, what happened, man, for real? He goes, seriously, man, I'm not telling you. So I'm like, Andrew, what happened? Five minutes of this. Andrew goes, you know what, we were at the bar last night. Chris takes the knife that the bartender was using to cut limes and starts playing that stupid game on my fingers and stab me in the thumb and now I need surgery, that's what happened. And Chris was just like, oh man. There's a reason we don't want to confess. We don't want to confess because it puts us face to, the, to, face, face, to face with the fact that we are limited, ridiculous, finite people. It's not about how many times we lied or how many times we use curse words or how many bad decisions we make. It's saying, God, you're God, you're infinite, and I'm confessing to you that maybe I don't have it figured out. I'm confessing to you that this is a really scary and stressful situation for me, and I can't see past it, but I got I to gotta confess that you can, and so I'm going to put that into perspective. I'm going to hold on to that, that you can do that. So this psalmist goes, you know, God, I'm scared for my life. This is life and death every day. But you know, my foot is slipping, and you pick me up. I know that you got this even if I don't. It's a huge statement of faith. That's what confession is. It's not like this, oh, woe is me, I've sinned. It's a statement of faith that says I am limited. I don't have it figured out, and I need you to figure it out for me. That's confession. That's what this psalmist does. And so this psalmist who is just... Crying, And I can picture the psalmist just crying in a cave or somewhere, hiding out, uh, just changes and says, God, not only uh, am I alive, but, but I also realize I don't have it figured out. And then what does the psalmist do? Because this is the climax of the whole thing. The psalmist does nothing. Nothing. That's what happens next. The psalmist does nothing. Let me ask you guys a question. What do you do? What do you do when you're stressed and worried? What do you do when you're anxious? What do you do when that thing that, that's bothering you, that relationship, the fact that you're 29 and the job's not right and you thought you would live somewhere else, what do you do when you have that anxiety? You, you put into action. I'm anxious about this. I should probably email these three people, update my LinkedIn, and send out resumes because I don't have the right job and I'm anxious about it. You know what I should do? I didn't think I was going to be in New York this long. Maybe I should start taking these trips to other cities to make sure that I'm okay and and I can go somewhere else if I need to. Not that that's always wrong, but it's a call to action. Oh, I'm anxious and stressed out about this. I better call Sean Willis right now to make sure he still likes me. What is it? What do you do? You're always called to action. This psalmist says, God, I confess to you I don't have it figured out and now I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to listen. This is New York. We don't ever stop to listen. So this is what the psalmist says when he stops to listen. When my anxiety was great, your consolation brought me joy. How in the world do you hear consolation if you're moving? How in the world does that happen? How in the world do you hear God when you're moving? What if, if we stopped and did nothing, what if we say, God, here's what I'm concerned about. I confess I don't have it figured out, and I'm just going to wait for you. What if we did that? What would we hear? What might happen to us? What if God was saying, finally, your head's cleared. I can now finally tell you the things I've been wanting to tell you this whole time. God finally like, is saying, finally, like, you, you know, you've been so concerned about that 12-minute argument with the person who bumped you in the subway that you haven't listened to what I might be telling you, my still, small voice, the thing that's going on uh, where, where I want you, the way that you're going to bring peace, you 're finally listening. Is it possible that if we do nothing that we 'll finally hear that voice of God? Is it possible that if we do nothing, maybe we 'll stop telling each other that we can 't hear, that we don 't know what God wants from us because we 're so concerned and consumed and so everything else? What if we did nothing there 's this phenomenon that happens um, It's just really interesting and I was reading about it the other day and I don't know if there's anything really medical about it, but my family has dealt with infertility, my wife and I. We struggled to have kids for so long. And so we were part of support groups and different things like that. And there were so many people who used to tell us, used to tell us, you know what, we were so stressed about having kids and we could never have kids and we gave up and we stopped trying and we got pregnant. We heard that story over and over and over again and like I said, I don't have any medical history on it, and I, I, you know, this was something we just heard so many times, but it's interesting to me, and it was interesting to me how, the second we just stop, the second we do nothing, the second we start to listen, how different things happen in our lives, the things that we're asking for begin to happen in our lives. God starts to speak to us in ways that God hasn't spoke to us before. What happens when we stop? That's what God is calling us to do. Whatever you're stressed out about, that thing that by itself does not matter, the fact that, you know, the Fresh Direct guy bumped you with his card and now you have a bruise on your calf, the thing that doesn't matter, you know, matters because God loves you. So, whatever that is, whatever that one thing is, whatever that stress is, I invite you this week to audibly talk about it. This week, I don't want you to bow your head. I don't want you to. I don't want you to go. Oh, God, I don't want you to do it. I want you to go, God, I'm angry because I was bumped by the fresh direct guy and it ruined my day. And because God cares about you, God cares about that. And I'm sure we have bigger stresses. I'm positive we have bigger anxieties. And so when we call out that bigger stress and that bigger anxiety, I want you to call out and audibly say, God, I am confessing that I'm finite. I don't have it figured out, but you do. You're on the hook for it. God's big. And then here's what I want you to do. You ready? After you've done that, after you've done that, when, when you go home, do nothing. Don't put that thing into action. Don't email that person. Listen. What's God telling you? You want to know what's sort of messed up about this this psalm and what's messed up about the psalmist is that um, if David wrote it, you know, David was on the run from anywhere between six to eight years. Six to eight years, every day waking up wondering if somebody was going to kill him. The psalmist was somebody who was writing this during exile. That means he or she was dealing with this most of their life. Most of their life, they were dealing with this constant threat of being killed or having their family taken away every single day. We read it all throughout the psalms. We see this despondence We see this audible cry out, and we see a reassurance. That's what God is asking from us, no matter how big or how small your anxiety is. And this is going to happen over and over. The rest of your life, you're going to be like, I'm super anxious about this. We're going to exaggerate it. But here's what I can tell you I can tell you that us confessing this to God, calling it out audibly and listening, that's going to get us thinking accurately, it's going to put things into perspective. It's going to change our lives. Here's how the psalmist ends Psalm 94. After all of it and all the anger, after talking to God, after saying, God, you're changing me. God, I confess this to you. The psalmist ends by saying this, Lord, you've become my fortress and my God. You are my rock with whom I take refuge. Pray with me. God, um, listen, I, you know, there's so many people in this room right now, and we are struggling with something and dealing with something. And whether it's really small or whether it's really, really big, whatever the case may be, God, I'm asking you right now um, and confessing to you right now that we're small and we're tiny and we're finite and we have no clue what you're up to. But, God, give us the patience to stop and figure out what it is that you might be saying to us today. Praise pray in your name. Amen.